0: Welcome to Rationalish, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your co host Morgan Wack, and I'm here with the unwearying Eddie Matthews. Been a feels while. Good to, feels good to be back, man. I know. What's, uh, what have you been up to, man, besides making knockoff versions of the pod with uh, some no name?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I moved. Well, no, yeah, I had been. The last time we talked was from San Diego. I moved to Chula Vista, which is. The southern I guess yeah geographically maybe the southernmost city of uh, San Diego uh, and it's nice and there's a Vons and a Target three minutes in every direction and uh, live next to a golf course uh, renting a room in a friend's house it's great yeah I like it a lot You're back from Liberia, though. That's farther than me. Do you want to give the listeners a rundown of what the world you were doing there?
0: <laughs> First, I just want to make sure that the viewers are aware that I'm, I'm giving Oliver crap, but he actually did a great job, and I'd like to thank him for filling in for me for a little while. I'd uh, yeah. love to have him on sometime when, when I'm around as well. I'm sure we'll have yeah. him back. Uh, but yeah, I've been gone. I was...
1: He's, I, I, I'll uh, say this about Oliver. He's a really politically astute thinker uh probably more than me quite like he's just
0: quite a difference on that we'll have to have him on a, a more serious pod. i say
1: <laughs> i say probably more than me as if that's like a huge
0: accomplishment <laughs> i was gonna say we we'll no. gonna have to get him on a different pod then
1: <laughs> i know seriously um no i just i really enjoy the way he talks about american democracy it's just very insightful so that so he could be you know other than tarantino topics or you know if we we're talking about baseball or something so anyways
0: uh, Liberia Yeah, but well, we'll have to let Oliver pitch a couple ideas to us Just like any other any other listeners out there If they have anything good And they want to come on the pod Of course they have to, to fill us. So We have been working on our, our listeners' questions So if you do want to send in any listeners' questions We'll have a podcast where we answer the numerous the, Oh the yeah, that one's coming soon Yeah, so we, we really appreciate Continue soon. sending them in uh, You know yeah. you can reach us the Twitter feed has been blowing up with them So that's, that's great um, Yeah, my mailbag's yeah. Uh, getting rather large. I think the Brashler's pod is single-handedly keeping UPS from going under, so that's that's great stuff, you... listeners. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I've been gone all summer, so I haven't been able to record the pod, which has been catastrophic. Um, yeah, I was in Tanzania for a while, helping out with a class over there, which was, which was fun. Some of the kids got sick, but it was really interesting. Met some great people, and then I was in Liberia helping out with the Monrovia Football Academy's research there. Um, which was also great. Got to stay with with James Cowan, who you know, always a smart guy. Love to have him on the pod as well. But yeah, it was it was it was great. I'm glad to be back. It's been a long couple months, but of course, rationalist comes first. So it really it's, it's been unacceptable the break from the pod, and I apologize, listeners.
1: Yeah. Um, do you want to give a little? background on what research you're doing in Liberia or?
0: Sure. Yeah. We were basically just testing the efficacy of, uh, the program that they're running there, seeing how essentially the way that these.
1: What program?
0: Yeah. So they, they it's a school that uses football as a way of kind of integrating people into an academy program.
1: For our American audience, football, soccer. you yeah, mean soccer. soccer.
0: exactly. Um, and so... The typical way that they used to do these impact evaluations was basically just to survey people within the program to see how they're improving, kind of just more like progress scores rather than anything else, which okay. is great, but it's not terrifically effective at sparsing out exactly how impactful things have been because sure. you, you know, the kids who are generally, generally going to be better at soccer are also generally going to be from households where they were able to you know, get enough nutrition, all these other factors that contribute. And unless yeah. you're able to sparse that out in other ways, you yeah. essentially can't. So we did a difference in differences design, which yeah. basically we – so they're running a camp, and we conducted surveys with the parents and the students of the people participating in the camp. And so when they do cut off the students, we'll be able to track the ones that made it and the ones that didn't make it over time while controlling for a bunch of these other factors to see how exactly the program is affecting the the ones that were closest to making it, which eliminates a lot of these other factors.
1: Yeah. Um, this reminds me of Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, kind of famous, uh, I guess he would say, I don't know, insight uh, about the 10,000 hour rule. And I think it's taken out of context and not, you know, maliciously, it's just, it's taken out of context and misunderstood in terms of people thinking if you practice 10,000 hours, things that that makes you an expert, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but the point he was making was more that the people who develop expertise put in 10,000 hours but are only able to put in 10,000 hours because of the larger apparatus of like family support or financial support or, um, geography or timing or you know there's a lot of these factors that create uh the type of like incubator for that expertise if that makes sense
0: exactly yeah yeah so there's all these other factors that you can't really you can never really account for them but this is one of the best ways and if you can get them from the very beginning of the program to the end they're doing a great job of actually trying to assess the exact impact of this program which is really cool
1: well, that's a really good segue into what we're talking about
0: today. It is. Meritocracies. It is indeed. Yes. Meritocracies, which is, again, not a very sexy topic, but uh, <laughs> we're going to ease back into it. But it's it. being talked
1: about by two sexy men. True.
0: True. So sex appeal is somewhere in the middle. If that's what you're here for, we'll, we'll give it our best. Um, you can picture yeah. us in whatever attire you wish. We're not here to, to fetish shame. So you should be good. Should be
1: good um so we're kind of debriefing a uh article a opinion piece in The Guardian about uh I guess you could say meritocracies in general but specifically as they relate to the UK and one researcher and then kind of extrapolated to America from there
0: mm-hmm.
1: um do you want to give the background on how you found this article right you found this topic interesting
0: yeah so there's been I, th- I mean, as much as an uptick in news about meritocracy exists, I think that it has been on the lips of a lot of researchers and, and you know, heavy thinkers in recent weeks and months because uh, it ties so finely into discussions about inequality and social class that are, is ongoing in both the U.S. and the U.K. and other places. And this article essentially was the best of the articles I found kind of critiquing why exactly meritocracy, which we'll get into, seems like such an obvious good, can actually end up leading to negative results for individuals and also for society. And so this article goes into a, the background of this British thinker who worked for the Labour Party.
1: Michael Young. Michael
0: Young, yes. Yes um and born
1: 1915 in manchester died 2002
0: Well, wow, he lived a while that's that's pretty good yeah yeah, yeah. 80, the time, yeah 88 is that how math works dude nice well done man brilliant <laughs> those are some tough years um, too a couple of world wars thrown in there and yeah jeez
1: yeah. i can't even yeah. imagine uh the angels winning the world series <laughs> oh man <Ugh>. that was
0: <laughs> That's probably what he thinks is the biggest disaster when we said disasters uh, in that time.
1: Um. Yeah, the article is The Myth of Meritocracy, mm-hmm. Who Really Gets What They Deserve by Kwame Anthony Apaya. Um, so, shoot, where do you want to start with this?
0: Well, we give us, what do you think, if you could give us a two sentence, one or two sentence background of what exactly you think of when you hear the word meritocracy, what would it be?
1: Oh, he died at 86. I am not 88. I'm not a math person. Come on, um, <laughs> If this is a
0: meritocracy. We would not be doing well. The math yeah, part. <laughs> seriously.
1: You're saying what comes to mind yeah, when I think of meritocracy? I know a few
0: people I mentioned when we were doing this episode too. They're like, I don't even really know what that is. So,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the, I guess it's kind of in the name, right? So, basically, what it conjures for me is that the people, uh, on top of, the society that. You know, embraces meritocracy deserve to be there, of their own merits. They uh, through a combination of, uh, I guess, talent, uh, intellect, hard work, mostly hard work. That's kind of, I think the 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 level of discipline and hard work is what meritocracy most kind mm-hmm. of connotes for me. Um, so the people that ascend to the to the top of that society of a meritocracy are the ones who, I guess, quote unquote, deserve to be there because of um, their hard work for, and so simply put, that's what it conjures for me.
0: Absolutely. I think the word deserve is very important as well, because we'll get into kind of the mental side effects of supposedly living within a meritocracy as well. Uh, but I think that that's generally what people think of. And, and in most countries, even it's not just democracies. I think even dictatorships claim to reward a lot of their citizens in a meritocratic way. China has a very strict system of meritocratic promotions within the Communist Party there and a lot of other uh, non-democratic governments also integrate meritocratic principles. So it's not just a democratic thing. It's something that's pretty much taken for granted in modern society.
1: Yeah, um, you can see why it plays well.
0: Absolutely. I mean, because, it's very hard to argue against, isn't it? Just on the surface.
1: Yeah. Um, well, let's get under the surface. What are, I guess, some of the, I don't know, to adjust the title of the article, what are some of the things that, um, meritocracies when they're actually put into practice don't, uh, necessarily, uh, fix or some of the byproducts that aren't terribly, uh, conducive to a healthy society?
0: Yeah, let's pull back the hood. Um, Essentially a lot of the critiques that come out about meritocracy are they come from a couple different angles. The main one is that meritocratic structures in principle don't actually reward what they're claiming to reward. Hmm. That nobody actually starts at the bottom of the same or there's not enough there aren't as many rungs on everyone's ladder. Is essentially right. the the largest critique that you can find in terms of meritocracy.
1: And I think it's important to also say that there's not shame in being born rich, you know? Yeah. So I I think that I feel almost like some of the backlash to this argument being like, stop shaming rich people out of jealousy. It's like, that's not what's being communicated. It's it's just stating the facts, the kind of uh, undeniable fact that, like you said, every person is born into the same amount of rungs to the ladder that they have to climb.
0: Yeah, I think the, the critiques are more along the lines of critiques of democracy. Very few people, although they do exist and they're becoming more plentiful in number, say that democracy itself is, is a societal ill. Most people say there are problems with democracy that we need to work on. I think the same thing could be said about most of the critiques of meritocracy. It's just that uncritically following meritocratic principles without understanding what exactly is being produced over time leads to less enviable results than if you're actually critically looking at these problems. Hmm.
1: I thought uh, this quote from the article kind of gets to an pretty So we're talking about in the context of the UK, right? At least at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was talking about how this, uh, researcher, remind me of his name? Young? Yeah. Michael Young. Um, was basically trying to create a more equitable society, uh, in a Great Britain that he grew up into that was very kind of almost like caste based, you know, or the class, the classes were very kind of solidified in the social hierarchy in, in Britain at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it was, I think the labor party was formed only 15 years before he was yeah, born. Yeah. So that like political movement was brand new as well. Um, so it's, he has this fascinating, um, there's a fascinating line where it says, as he started to kind of put this idea into practice and, and to get uh, some of these policies put in place that really did make life, uh, better for working class Britons, Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, in, in encoded in that is this idea of your hard work is getting you, is making you the benefactor of these, you know, uh, social privileges that are, that are being, um, earned by you. He saw, this is quoting the article, he saw an emerging cohort of mercantile mer- meritocrats, meritocrats, wow, that's a hard word to say, <laughs> who can be who can be insufferably smug, more, much more so than the people who knew they had achieved advancement, not on their own merit, but because they were, as somebody's son or daughter, the beneficiaries of nepotism. Absolutely. I thought that was so fascinating. Yeah. Because yeah. at least, you know, if you're the son of a Lord, you're like, well, yeah, I got into Oxford, But I know I did because I'm the son of the Lord. And so that's, you know, just part of my identity. That's okay. You know? And, and so they didn't have a smugness about it because they realized how like privileged they are. Whereas I guess in the analog to that would be, you know, these, these people that now have the moral virtue on their side of their attainment being equated with their hard work in a way that. It was never before this system was put in place.
0: Yeah, and I think the biggest problem with the, if we're going to talk about the kind of the mental aspects of just claiming that a society is meritocratic, what it just kind of develops, what develops out of that mentally is, it's more devastating, I think, on the other end. You're talking about kind of the way that it leads to this kind of unacknowledged entitlement in a way that aristocracy did not. The biggest yep. problem that's kind of pointed out is that on the bottom end, if you're seen as having achieved poorly or having f- had a few failures in life, that that actually is seen as a not only a kind of a financial economic failing, but actually a moral failing, because it's seen that you didn't try right. hard enough is the reason that you didn't succeed, not that you've had a bad spate of luck or that you started off in a difficult position.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, yeah, much more has it. Well... Both are hazardous, but that is much more damaging if you're seeing, uh, poor people and equating their poverty with their lack of virtue is that's a pretty, it's pretty plain to see what's kind of wrong with that, I guess. Um, but it also talks about class identities becoming more entwined, uh, whether you're working class or middle class or upper class, the, I guess, idea that working class people in America understand um, or or I guess are seeing a lack of opportunities and being okay with that, but then maybe seeing minorities get some of those opportunities and being bitter about that, even though at the same time they're, they don't want an exception for them, right? Yeah. So they just don't they want a system that doesn't have any exceptions. And when they see exceptions being meted out, they don't want to be the beneficiary of that because they want the system to be equal. However, they do see beneficiaries of that. And that's where kind of some of the, um, uh, I guess angst gets baked in.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think Um, it's hard to argue against the the power of the narrative of meritocracy. And that's kind of what they're getting at there. even for those that, this failure to live by these meritocratic principles is having the greatest impact even they still support the underlying principles of meritocracy which is kind of the underpinning of the American dream in a way
1: yeah no I think that's really well said I think um, so this was also kind of an interesting uh, statement by the Yale law professor because this was right after a quote um, from the article that said economists have found that many elite U.S. universities, including Brown, Dartmouth, Penn, Princeton, and Yale, so a lot of the Ivy Leagues, take more students from the top 1% of the income distribution than from the bottom 60%. Mm-hmm. And so the Yale law professor, Daniel Merkovitz, uh, you know, said that American meritocracy uh, has become precisely what it was invented to combat, a mechanism for the dynastic transmission of wealth and privilege across nations. Exactly. Or, sorry, across mm-hmm. generations. Um, and I thought that that is really interesting. And also, um, I think it's just embarrassing. That statistic from, from the Ivy Leagues, the fact that they take more students from the top 1%, is not surprising in the bottom 60, you know? But still, like, the idea that the best and brightest are represented at these Ivy Leagues institutions is a farce.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, there's a lot of other facts. Uh, I think... It's not just necessarily these institutions. I think that's more uh, kind of exposing a wound than the actual cause. There's other facts in here that say if you are for children whose parents make more than $200,000 a year, they score up to 250 points higher on average on the SAT than children who make between 40000 and 60000
1: Well, yeah, they can pay for classes that teach the kids how to take the test, not necessarily um increase the intellect of the kid exactly right? they probably
0: take it three four times whereas totally. <laughs> someone who's from a, you know middle class low class household is probably going to take it once if at all
1: could maybe afford to take yeah, it
0: yeah exactly exactly
1: like I-, I think we both knew kids who didn't take certain ap tests because they weren't totally sure if they were going to pass and they couldn't afford to pay the 60 bucks or whatever it was to to take it, you know
0: exactly. I mean, that sort of thing that's taken for granted because it's been around for so long and it makes so much money for certain companies is is an absolute farce to a lot of other countries in the world. When I try to explain that income taxes determine how much local schools make to people in the UK, <laughs> people look at me with just absolute incredulity because it it makes no sense. And when you actually think about it, it really doesn't. It's the exact opposite of what education, public education, is trying to achieve.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you think about so Michael Brown, uh, the young man who was shot in mm-hmm. uh, Ferguson, yeah. right? And that uh, kind of uh, incited a lot of what happened after, right? Yeah. So he was from, uh, sorry for all the white noise, also recording this a bit outside. Eddie's private jet so is showing up soon. So we dumpsters <laughs> and planes and such. Anyways, so. Um, Michael Brown, his school district that he went to in Ferguson, Missouri, had underperformed so much that they had lost their accreditation as a public (laughs) uh, high school. So, and that's not, I don't see that as a referendum on the quality of the students. I see that as a referendum on public education not being what it's promised
0: to be, right? It doesn't really make any Um, sense that, yeah, that students underachieving because a school is underfunded should lead to them not having a local school. It doesn't those it's, incentives it's make in- absolutely no sense.
1: It's insane to think that money is being allocated based on test scores improving year to year. Yeah. Because it I guess the the argument for being that well well it incentivizes teachers and, and to make better students and get better test scores year to year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you're, uh, if your teachers, if your best teachers are fleeing your school, um, and you can't make that happen, you don't need less money. You need more, right? Like this. So anyways, it talks, the article talks about how education was designed to be something that was, that would be, you know, a mechanism for raising up people, um, in this meritocratic system, right? And to be able to, to, attain, uh, higher classes of society, but it's become again, kind of like a mechanism for, um, essentially well-intentioned parents who, um, make a lot of money, who want to send their kids to the best school as any parent would want to do, uh, end up having a kind of stranglehold on the best institutions from, you know. Age uh, from elementary school all the way up to college, right?
0: Absolutely. And I think this is why the admission scandal from how many months ago was that now? Four four or five months ago? The college admission scandal with the the actresses and things. I think that's why this sort of thing produces so much kind of vitriolic reaction. And things like meritocracy, kind of just gaming the system, doesn't, is because people understand the incentives to want your child to succeed and they know that if they were in the similar position, they would also send their kid to a fancy private school that has an 80% placement rate in Ivy Leagues. Because why not? If you had that much money, you want your children to succeed. But they also want things to be fair and they see meritocracy as being fair. And so when you're trying to game the system in another way, even if your rate of getting in is probably near the same, it's seen as something totally catastrophic and anti-American.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, you can see how like difficult this problem is going to be to, I don't know, um, surmount. Like, I think that, cause it kind of talks about how part of the appeal. So it said, according to Nate Silver, that Trump swept the 50 counties with the lowest income. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see kind of, working class people uh cuz it, it goes into the perception of liberals being the coastal elites right the ones who are who are gaming the system and not uh attaining based on their own merit but because they know how to how to cook the books in their
0: favor friggin' ocean dwellers how to swim
1: <laughs> yeah and um it says you know the populists, the, quoting the article, they may not call them upper an upper class, but the indices that populists use to define them, money, education, connections, power, would have picked out the old upper and upper middle classes of the last century. Um, so it's this kind of idea that working class Americans, as the article says, again, they feel a sense of subordination derived from a lack of formal mm-hmm. education, and that can play a part in their politics. Um, so that kind of educated coastal elite, that's where... The negative connotation, uh, this article argues, gets conflated with education because it gets conflated with kind of cronyism, not legitimate merit, hard work, you know, sweat and blood and tears.
0: Yeah. And that's why you can understand. I think there was a survey that came out today that said 59% of Republicans don't or see, see universities and colleges as being bad for America. Yeah. And you can understand why when you look at things like this where it's not necessarily that universities and colleges themselves are doing bad unto America, but their uh, their place within the system is something that allows these differences in social classes and regional differences and disparities to take greatest hold on a society.
1: Yeah, I think this is um, related but not directly, um, you know, part of the article is – I think a huge part of Trump's appeal with working class people was that he embarrassed these people that they resent. It was more like it's it was so gratifying for them to see coastal liberal elites just embarrassed that that produced so much like gratification in a way that it was an it, it was overwhelming in some in some respects right
0: absolutely i mean i think that plays into what you were talking about before where it's seen as though people have this privilege that they've been given and they also don't acknowledge that privilege and i think that is playing into the larger debate about social inequality and just politics in general in the united states like you're saying um and I, one of these other articles i i didn't send this to because it actually just came out today on on the atlantic uh, but it's by the same author you mentioned earlier uh what, what's his name? Daniel Markovitz.
1: Oh, yeah, the
0: Yale professor. Yeah, so he just released a, an article. I guess he released a book, which we have not read because that's a lot of prep for a podcast. But he released an article summarizing the book. And Yeah, we don't yeah, work that <laughs> hard. That, Come on. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, we, in the meritocracy of podcasts, are somewhere somewhere around where we're meant to be. Um, but they basically, his argument is, is exactly like what you're saying. It's not that the rich are actually working less and gaining more. It's that they're working just as hard, but they're just starting off from such a better position that they're getting even further. Right. He, right. His basic argument and his is very, very uh, different than a lot of these other articles. He's basically saying the way we need to appeal to the rich to kind of turn back this fight for greater working hours and this ongoing process to try to prove that you work harder than everyone else is to go to the rich and basically say, look, the lawyers, the doctors, the bankers, all these positions that the rich end up finding themselves in.
1: The podcast hosts. Podcast
0: hosts just raking it in, advertisements. um, They basically are working three times harder and longer than their parents did one generation ago. The amount right. of hours at at a current law firm um, that they expect you to work if you want to become partner has doubled in the last 25 years. Doubled right. for the year, and they say for to right. to do the so it's Americans who work more than 60 hours a week um, say they would like to work 25 hours less. There's they essentially say that you would have to work six days a week from nine to eight at night with no yeah. holidays the entire year to work the amount of hours. That bankers and lawyers want you to work in your first few years in office.
1: Well, that's the irony of the perception of Gen Z and millennials being these lazy, uh, you know, not hardworking generations is that millennials and Gen Z worked way harder in high school and middle school and elementary school uh, proportionally than any generation before us because we had to to go somewhere half decent.
0: Yeah, and they say the University of Chicago, which is you know, one of the premier institutions in the US, admitted 71% of its applicants as recently as 1995. In 2019, it, it admits less than 6% and costs That's insane. You know, five yeah. times as much, if, if yeah. not more than that.
1: Yeah. But then,
0: yeah, I'd, yeah, that, ugh. So, yeah,
1: man. It's an interesting it's an interesting problem. I think it's this idea that when we say privilege, we don't say that with distaste. Like, if we're smart, when we're talking about privilege, we acknowledge it because it's true. We don't mm. acknowledge it because we have some weird devotion to identity politics or liberalism or any of that. Yeah. We just acknowledge it because we're true. Because if you're American, you're more privileged than the rest of the world, yeah, you know?
0: Absolutely.
1: Like... It's, and and I guess this is why I have a little reticence when Bernie keeps talking about the one percent, the one percent, one percent. It's like we do need some international perspective here, (laughs) and to think that if you make, I think I think the statistic is that if you make over thirty thousand dollars a year, thirty thousand, which is not very much money. Do we make more than that in America
0: or less? Is it's around there, right?
1: are we we pulled in 8600 last <laughs> oh, okay, quarter not bad.
0: so if you i'll, yeah, I'll I tell mean, the, I guess we're the shareholders the shareholders will know I'll when the next meeting we have I'll pull them together
1: yeah um so i think it's if you if you make over like 30 or 32000 mm-hmm. dollars a year um you're in the top 3% of the world
0: yeah i right? mean this this plays into the whole so, effective altruism movement Which we should do another podcast on at some point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I just, um, when we use terms like rich or wealthy, we really have to define, we're we're talking about specific terms in a specific context, right? Mm -hmm. Because, and, and that's also a difficult thing because for whatever reason, rich people do not like
0: saying that they're rich. Have you noticed this? I mean, of course, then, then that's, that's essentially an acknowledgement of privilege, and nobody likes to say that what they've done and what they've achieved didn't come from their own two hands.
1: That must be such an um, like so that metaphor of an American dream, and I don't say I say metaphor with with reverence, right? Yeah. I don't say metaphor because it's fictional and untrue. Mm-hmm. Like that metaphor of the American dream is so. D- it's like archetypal in our DNA as Americans. It's so deep down in us that it really manifests in interesting ways in our language and how we interact with other Americans, you know?
0: Absolutely. I would say and it's think probably that, the defining characteristic yeah. of Americans in comparison to a lot of other countries, if not just what separates America from a lot of Europe. Is Not necessarily the American dream, but the belief in the American dream.
1: Right. I mean, it's kind of next to the Constitution in the sense of something that all Americans can more or less agree on, you know?
0: I would say there's a lot of crossover. The idea that you have these infallible freedoms is, in a way, the underpinning for the American dream, that it's yeah. not going to be, there aren't going to be these structural discriminations against you. And if you make it here and you, can claim to be American, then you have a chance to succeed just like anyone else.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess that I don't say privilege and rich with disdain because we are privileged and rich. Um, and there are, I, there are certainly some liberal people who do say those terms with disdain and that's not great. Um, but I think that what, like what is the harm in acknowledging in in acknowledging your privilege and talking about that in a constructive way that that informs your worldview and your society. Like, why would that, I I just, this idea that we're shaming ourselves and each other with privilege and who has more privilege and who has less privilege, I think is uh, counterproductive (laughs) to say the least. I think it
0: gets slotted into the, you know, it gets slotted into these two different arguments about whether you worked hard because of the fact, like what we talked about earlier, in a meritocratic society, your success is seen as a result of, your amount of the amount of work you've done. And so when we try right. to bring nuance into that and say, well, wait a second, you've actually achieved this partially because of the position you started, not fully. It becomes, well, you fully were able to achieve this because of where you started. Instead of saying, well, you had a head start, but you also worked very hard and you were able to beat out all these other people who had that same head start. It's a conversation yeah. about you having this position at all and yeah. nothing else everything else gets discounted
1: yeah that's a really really like deep divide in terms of like one of the core principles of conservatism one of the core present principles mm-hmm. of liberalism Absolutely. is that i i i dare you to find a conservative person on tv who acknowledges their privilege and doesn't just immediately talk about how hard they work to get to where they are, you know?
0: Absolutely, and it doesn't have to be either one.
1: assume I assume the counter-argument to a certain degree, well, no, I think you're probably a lot more likely to find a liberal person on TV or a liberal politician who would say that they also worked hard, that what they got wasn't just because of their privilege, you know?
0: Yeah. What was the Obama quote a couple years back that he got in trouble for? When he said, it was it, you didn't get here alone or we didn't do this alone? Do you remember yeah. that controversy? That was essentially I doubt, the same. But I was irate. <laughs> he <laughs> said something like, you didn't do this alone to groups of people. But he was saying it like, we didn't do this alone. We did this together. You needed help. We're all in this together sort of thing. And it it was yeah. actually this outrage about like no they they built that with their own two hands and it's like that's clearly not true you like, and you at yeah. least had to like they had to go through a bank and get loans like there was just a lot of problems with that but the narrative is so strong that it's difficult to have these nuanced conversations about it
1: yeah yeah man um, well I feel like that's probably a good place to 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 guide this ship into the harbor
0: <laughs> do you want to offer any solutions or do you, do we just want to Kind of leave them, leave them. Well, I'm
1: I'm supposed to meet Eric Penningroth for oh, wow. a burrito because he just got back from Tijuana, apparently.
0: Okay, okay. Well, we, so, we can have uh...
1: solutions. <laughs> Come on. That's for more. People don't that's listen to this more for hardworking solutions. podcasters.
0: So we can <laughs> we can leave the the society itself to decide. Um,
1: no, I'm I'm um if I honestly um eh, hang on i'm texting eric no worries give me five minutes
0: you hear that folks we got five minutes we're gonna solve we're gonna solve all the problems with america right now
1: um all right we got you have five minutes (laughs) to fix this problem how are you gonna how are you gonna how are you gonna provide a solution to salvaging the virtues of meritocratic society without, um, you know, re-instigating all of the negative byproducts.
0: So I do believe that a lot of the problem comes from our education system. I think that is, if there is a focal point for these problems and also, uh, you know, an opportunity for a silver bullet solution, it would be through the education system. I think the fractious nature of the U.S. system and the continual focus on developing new private alternatives in the form of charter schools and you know, private academies is not the right way to go about this. I think there needs to be more standardization among states as to how tax exemption can be handled or given out right now you basically you start a school and you get tax exempt no matter who you allow in for any reason Mm. whatsoever as long as it's not religious and even then you can probably get it uh the one of the uh, solutions that's been offered has been that private schools would have to allow at least 50 percent of people that were non-paying or at least outside their target demographic to enable for a less kind of you know, enclosed system where the most affluent children are taken away from public schools and the public schools are left with little finances, which is what's happening now. And with the other thing would be to discount the value of education more generally. If, as it is today, a college education is seen as necessary, not only for economic purposes and economic success, but also for social success and to say oh i have a college education i'm collegially educated there is always going to be this demand for that status and if we can yeah. get back to you know the the glory days of the 40s and 50s with the new deal and the post new deal america the benefits of that was that necess- it wasn't necessarily a college education that would lead you to be more socially or economically uh, powerful in society, those were that was one avenue amongst many, and the the switch to a more meritocratic system where it is this ladder that you have to seen as climbing, and any of those people that branch off before the top are seen as somehow less socially prominent. There's always going to be this disdain between these groups. So instead of having it be hierarchical, you really needed to be, you know. Horizontal, and so reestablishing the prominence of industries outside of those college-educated institutions is really important. I think that a lot of people think, well, that would that be, you know, the, there's no age nowadays for manual labor, and everyone pictures kind of mining, coal mining. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. I'm thinking more of investments in vocational schools that promote coding and online programs for individuals that don't necessarily want to go to expensive for your institutions. I think we could rebuild a lot of these other sectors that are not necessarily you know, don't require master's degrees, but require one to two year coding degrees where you can do a lot of things in the new economy. And I think that sort of investment is, would be really important going forward.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, um, I was just talking about this last night, uh, about how the reason why the universities aren't as under threat as they probably should be mm-hmm isn't necessarily by virtue of the market or the education they provide. It's by virtue of accreditation
0: and lack like of
1: it's, alternatives. It's, and la- precisely. Cause the, there are alternatives. There's, I mean, you can find anything online. You can t- train yourself in almost anything. Like yes. all of the resources are there except for a, an accreditation that is established as legitimate with, Uh, the business world and with, you know, uh, the professional world at large. And that's needed to have the
0: social viability that comes along with a college degree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if you can, if, if we can find, you know, different trade schools and vocational schools that have accreditation that's, uh, recognized in that industry at the same level that say a bachelor degree is recognized baccalaureate, sorry. Is recognized at uh Kaiser or wherever, you know, if you're a nurse. Um that's kind of what we need to work on is accreditation, which is a strange (laughs) that's a strange problem. You don't think of accreditation as being
0: so crucially
1: important. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, and then also I think I would just add to the education bit was is just like language, the way that we um talk about these things and communicate about them Mm -hmm. and not Equate too much your class with your uh,
0: station in life. Hard work, yeah. necessary. Yeah. yeah, station in mm-hmm. life.
1: I think. Yeah, introducing a little more humility for all of us in in that conversation is warranted.
0: And trying to understand that we start off in different positions without that taking away from the hard work that people have achieved.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. um, oh,
0: brilliant. I think we solved it.
1: I think we solved it. If we didn't, you're welcome. We didn't, and I didn't cuss. I didn't curse at I all in this I, podcast. I think so. I might
0: have. I'm sorry, Eddie Matthews, his family. I apologize. Um, and if we didn't solve it, I think this is clearly Eric Pentegross' fault for cutting it yeah, short. Yeah, exactly. So you can blame it. <laughs> send all your send all hate mail to him. Send all positive mail to us. And uh, look at the Twitter account. Be ready for an episode on viewer mail, as well as a couple more interesting <laughs> articles coming up. yeah
1: please look at our twitter (laughs) we're back Um, we're back cool man i'll see i'll see you rationalicians
0: later (laughs) till next time adios boom